Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a Cyber Week surprise in the workforce. One of the things that we've we've seen is that more people are leaving jobs, for instance, where they have, may have felt unfulfilled, uh, kind of to go do something that they feel more impactful on the world. People are trying to do that with cybersecurity. A switch for CISA that could go wrong. We want to make sure that we don't um, allow accountability to be shifted to CISA from those departments and agencies, even as we're providing them as much assistance as we possibly can. And Brandon Wales's three-step plan to build cyber defenses. First, we need to think about cybersecurity in a different way. Second, we need to realize and harness the power of operational collaboration. And third, we need to understand that cybersecurity is truly a team sport. It's Monday, October 18th, 2021, day one of Cyber Week. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Navy will shift to an enterprise approach in its information technology operations. Navy Chief Information Officer Aaron Weiss writes the intent is to cut duplication and isolated development of systems. Weiss's memo to the service says Navy Chief Technology Officer Jane Rathbun will lead a new policy recommendation forum on the shift within the next 60 days. Two members of Congress are asking the Office of Management and Budget to check that agencies are collecting data on staff diversity. OMB found in July that many agencies don't have access to diversity data. Congresswomen Carolyn Maloney and Ayanna Presley say right now they're looking for evidence of progress in that data collection. The Biden administration will make climate changes to two important federal documents. A memo from OMB says the fiscal 2023 budget will include an assessment of the government's climate risk exposure and a review of potential long-term impacts. An amendment to the federal acquisition regulation is coming, too, to mitigate climate change risk to supply chains. You can read more on these headlines and many more at fedscoop.com. Today is day one of Cyber Week. CyberScoop has prepared a terrific lineup of events, both virtual and in-person this week. Jeff Stone is editor-in-chief of CyberScoop. Jeff, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Why is this such a big deal? Why is this sense of community and putting all of these cyber people together in one big thing all week long such a big deal to you? Welcome. Thank you for having me, Francis. It's great to be here. Cyber Week is a big deal for a lot of the reasons that you might expect. There are a number of issues that um, people in this sector are thinking about with increasing urgency, certainly over the past 18 months or so, ranging from ransomware attacks on um, the medical sector and healthcare facilities during the pandemic. And then it gets all the way into um, burnout and a lack of diversity in the cybersecurity world. So to have um, a few days of some of the brightest minds kind of coming together and discussing this um, is a big, proactive, we hope, productive way to kind of get our handle on on some of these issues and, and try to understand them a little bit better. On the Daily Scoop podcast, my focus is the federal government. What's the importance in your view of connecting the federal government, state and local, and the commercial sector the way that you're doing through Cyber Week? The thing about cybersecurity through the lens that you just described is that it's pretty fragmented. So this week we have Jen Easterly, who's the director of the same unit, will also be speaking. When they are kind of delving into their expertise and sharing some of their insights, part of that is for um, state and local government leaders who are trying to straighten out their own systems, whether that be securing um, 
the way that financial information is handled in the government or benefits dealt out or the way that um, state IT systems need to keep themselves online during an election season, for instance. So that's really important. And then the other thing is that the government um, provides valuable signposts for businesses, large and small, that are also trying to handle these issues in a way that is often very expensive and difficult and high stakes. So to have some guidance from the government um, and um, some of the back and forth that we've observed has been has been really important. The lineup's pretty impressive. We're going to roll on some of the uh, the public sector names, the federal government names that are really big and play the highlights back on the Daily Scoop podcast throughout the week for folks that don't have a chance to participate in the entire scope of events that we're putting on. But you've got cyberweek.us as the website that's set up for people to go and register, see the agenda, all of that jazz. What do you want people to take away Friday afternoon when you've kind of wrapped up Cyber Week, Jeff, what do you want people to to do the next Monday with the knowledge that they've gathered this week? I want people to understand that this is an issue that is evolving. Cyber is a um, fraction of larger IT spending and information technology thought and prioritization, but it's a lot more than um, somebody with a black hoodie in their basement. It really is about um, this kind of confluence of geopolitical factors, whether it be foreign nation states, uh, a failure to invest in kind of digital defenses here in the United States, whether you're in a government or, or a business situation, um, and to come away with a lesson on how um, things are moving in this direction in a way that hopefully results in fewer uh, attacks and, and digital extortion events at major hospitals during a, a key time is is huge. That would be ideal for us. What's the trend line or trend lines, multiple maybe, that you've seen, not necessarily even from last Cyber Week to this one, but that you've seen building in the cyber community that maybe wasn't there the last Cyber Week that we had? People are fried, has been my observation. A lot of the people who are dealing with some of these issues on a, on a um, first-hand basis on a day-to-day basis are are working like like a lot of us are are working through the weekends and um, they are working all night and they are still balancing this kind of world of remote work and um, helping their kids and kind of dealing with their families while they try to do all this stuff what I think is is particularly notable about um, cyber week this year in this iteration is, that um, the staffing shortage in cybersecurity is huge. There is simply not enough people. There are hundreds of thousands of open positions in this field. So the people who are trying to do some of this really important work um, remain short-staffed, and they don't have a lot of um, light at the end of the tunnel right now, if you will. It's interesting that you mention that because that doesn't strike me as a cyber problem in and of itself. You read any you know, Wall Street Journal, any of those kinds of business outlets. And they're talking about the great resignation. They're talking about the people who just have chosen not to go back into the, the traditional workforce, all of those kinds of things as a result of the pandemic. In the federal government space, we talk about the connection between technology and financial management, technology and acquisition, acquisition and human capital, all of these things connected together maybe in a way that we haven't seen before. Are you seeing that in the broader cyber community too, Jeff? Absolutely. I think one of the 
You touched on the great resignation a little bit. One of the things that we've we've seen is that more people are leaving jobs, for instance, where they have, may have felt unfulfilled, uh, kind of to go do something that they feel more impactful on the world. People are trying to do that with cybersecurity. People are trying to get involved in, in trying to um, help deal with some of these threats that result in extortion against small and medium-sized businesses, for instance. And it's a really interesting problem that, that a lot of people are trying to solve. There's just not enough. There, there is just too few people. And there is a major push now from groups like Share the Mic and Cyber, for instance, to kind of expand the talent pool, get a little bit smarter, a little bit more creative about the way that... Um, trying to fill some of these gaps all right do you have a favorite thing that you're looking forward to about cyber week this week a, per, a uh, particular speaker or a particular event or a particular anything that is your personal thing this is a little bit self-serving one of the ones <laughs> that is one of the ones that's airing on tuesday is uh mary galloway who is the uh ceo and founding board member of cyber jutsu which is a group that is uh, trying to do a lot of the things that I just described. They are trying to raise awareness about um, a lack of diversity in the cyber field, a lack of training and um, really be proactive about attracting young people, kids, college students who may have never considered cybersecurity as a profession. You know, this is a relatively new field still, I think. Um, so the idea of um, a lack of, of educational curriculum around how to stop hackers is something that's gaining steam. That's a new idea that we're going to hear more and more about and certainly um, is something that I think is worth emphasizing. That was my favorite conversation. There's a lot of there's a lot of good ones. I am still the new guy at Scoop News Group, but I have to say I'm tremendously impressed with the way that you and your colleagues have rounded all this stuff up and not just on the editorial team, which is terrific but in the events team and just all across the organization, it's obviously an all hands uh, effort and congratulations to you and your colleagues for putting together something that's really impressive, Jeff. Thanks for coming on the program. I appreciate you saying that and uh, thank you for having me. We'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Indeed we will, Jeff. You can find a link to all the Cyber Week festivities in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Coming on today's Daily Scoop podcast, Brandon Wales of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency kicks off Cyber Week with a look at his agency's road ahead for government cybersecurity and for the private sector. The Daily Scoop podcast lineup is available ahead of time on Twitter. You can follow the show and see who's coming every day at Daily Scoop Pod. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency will help agencies understand cyber data, one of CIS's leaders worries agencies could drown in that data on their own. Suzanne Spaulding is Senior Advisor for Homeland Security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. She served as Undersecretary for the National Protection and Programs Directorate at the Department of Homeland Security, and she was a member of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. Suzanne, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Before we get to where CISA is headed on CDM, anecdotally, I know this, this is just uh, my hearing, but it strikes me CDM has kind of taken a back seat over the last couple of months, especially to the discussion around zero trust. Am I hearing it right or have I missed out a little bit, Suzanne? Welcome. Thank you, Francis. It's great to be here. Nice to join you in your new, new spot. You know, it's interesting. First of all, I would say, you know, zero trust is, the, is a buzzword uh, of the moment. And as a result, it has come to mean uh, different things to different people. Uh, so it's a little hard to address from that perspective. But I would say I don't think so. 
Uh, I think CDM is an important part of what most people think about when they think about zero trust. Um, it, it is, uh, of course, CDM started uh, way back when, when I was at DHS. Uh, and the concept was we had Einstein, which was the perimeter defense, but we understood even then that that was inadequate and we needed something that was going to go into your network and tell you about the health of your network, what's going on on your network, and and provide that information, importantly, back to a dashboard uh, so that we had a common operating picture. And the first thing that CDM did was to go out and identify devices um, that were connected to federal departments and agencies' networks. And we compared that technology, what technology found, with what the departments and agencies had reported based on their understanding of the devices connected. And the difference between the two was uh, dramatic, in some cases tenfold. Um, so, so you know, the CDM is an important part of endpoint security, for example, um, and that's an important element of what most people think about as zero trust. So I, I hope it is not taking a backseat. My sense is that CISA is very much aware that CDM needs to continue to evolve. It needs to incorporate uh, tech, new technologies that are coming out. It needs to do um, more all the time. Um, but, I, but I think it is getting attention. The quote that I was referring to when I introduced you, Suzanne, is this. My colleague Dave Nitschapir writes uh, that uh, Richard Grabowski, the acting program manager at CISA for CDM, said, we have to figure out a way to almost direct our stakeholders on what they need to do instead of just letting them drown in the data because there's just too much out there. What's your sense of what that could look like that it's useful to the individual agencies across government, Suzanne? Yeah, so I think it has to involve two two components. One has to be an automated uh, prioritization, and and CDM does some of that. And I know that CISA is looking at ways to improve that to to identify not just these are all of the vulnerabilities, uh, but these are the ones that we're seeing exploited. Right. So it's it's not just about threat; it's about risk, and that means uh, threat, vulnerability, and consequence. You've got to look look at all three of those to calculate that risk. Some of that can be uh, automated and can be done in, in, in through analysis at CISA that can be pushed back in a machine-readable format. But some of that is going to be context and analysis, right, um, that may not lend itself to that. And so departments and agencies are going to have to have teams that can receive uh, threat information in context that can help them, uh, for example, in identifying their high value assets. So information about what do we see the adversaries looking for and what does our intelligence community tell us about what our adversaries' information gaps or strategic objectives are. Um, though that kind of analysis is gonna help people deal with and make sense of this mountain of data. Um, it, it, um, and it can't, it's not as readily uh, kind of uh, automated. Mm -hmm. So both components, I think, have to occur. We've got to, uh, CISA's got to do a lot of that for particularly small and medium-sized departments and agencies. Is this another step into uh, toward what we've talked about before, you and I, and uh, the Cyberspace Solarium Commission referenced in its work, that CISA really becomes the main organization for civilian agencies regarding almost all things cyber. It sounds like that's the direction we're headed in, Suzanne. 
Well, I certainly think there's a, an awful lot that CISA could centralize um, for departments and agencies. What I've always cautioned against, as you know, is um, relieving departments uh, and agencies' heads, uh, heads, not their heads, but the heads of those <laughs> departments and agencies, um, from the ultimate responsibility for ensuring that they are able to deliver the functions that the American people rely on them to deliver. And cyber is a big part of that. And so we want to make sure that we don't um, allow accountability to be shifted to CISA from those departments and agencies, even as we're providing them as much assistance as we possibly can. A person I know that you know well, Michael Daniel, who's now at the Cyber Threat Alliance, said at the same event, my colleague Dave Nitschpier writing this, Michael said, much more of the cybersecurity needs to be centrally provisioned across the federal government from a few of the larger, more sophisticated agencies. We don't have every agency run its own payroll. We have seven payroll providers across the federal government, and the agencies have to pick which payroll provider they want to use. Do you think that is a potential model that we'll see where maybe it doesn't all live at CISA, but it lives in a more centralized environment than we see today? I do. I think the payroll analogy is not perfect, but I agree with the thrust of what Michael is saying there. Um, you know, I do think that CISA can be a kind of digital service, if you will, uh, for departments and agencies. I think they can centralize a lot of uh, a lot of the work that needs to be done. But again, uh, cybersecurity is an exercise in risk management, and uh, and that requires risk decisions. It's the same message that I deliver to private sector boards and CEOs is that, you know, they have to be, they cannot cede this to their IT teams. This has to be an enterprise-wide assessment of the risk and risk tolerance and an uh, enterprise-wide brainstorming about all of the ways to reduce the consequences of a successful cyber attack. Those won't all be from the IT team. A lot of those will be from your operators, et cetera. So departments and agencies need to think about it in exactly the same way. So there's a limit to how much of that risk management process can be centralized at CISA. Do you see the idea that that stakeholder at the top of an agency who's not necessarily an IT person is receiving that message and is uh, internalizing that the need for that accountability at that high level? Well, when I was uh, in the uh, at DHS, uh, the White House had uh, me- regular meetings with uh, principals or deputies in which they went over the kind of report card on how they were doing on cyber. This was uh, you know, largely in the wake of the OPM breach. So assuming that the White House is holding those kinds of meetings and, and, and holding the, the senior officials' feet to the fire on this, then, I, then that's how you get their attention. They will continue to be feel ultimately accountable. Suzanne Spaulding, thank you very much for joining me. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you, Francis. Great to be with you again. You can read more about CISA's data sharing role and a lot more and see all of our Cyber Week events at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Cyber Week runs through Friday. CyberScoop has a ton of events lined up for the Cyber Festival, both virtually and in person. Lots of top leaders from tech, education, and government will be there. You can see the calendar and sign up now at cyberweek.us. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Coming on Tuesday's program, our Cyber Week coverage continues with a focus on Defense Department cybersecurity. 
Former DOD cyber leader Jack Wilmer and the current chief information security officer at the Pentagon, Dave McEwen, are here. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts Tuesday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. As you heard a moment ago, CISA may have more duties added on to the work it already does. CISA's executive director, Brandon Wales, discussed the mission of the agency in remarks for the opening of Cyber Week today. In this highlight from his remarks, he says CISA thinks about its mission in two different ways. We're the operational lead for federal cybersecurity, or the .gov. CISA acts as the quarterback for the federal cybersecurity team, protecting and defending our federal civilian government networks. Through this role, we also coordinate the execution of our national cyber defense, leading asset response for significant cyber incidents and ensuring that timely and actionable information is shared with public and private sector partners. And we are also the national coordinator for critical infrastructure, security, and resilience. We look at the entire threat picture and work with partners across government and industry to defend against today's threats while securing the the nation's critical infrastructure against risks that are just over the horizon. As recent incidents have demonstrated, the cyber threats have moved from the conceptual to the tangible. Over the past year, we have seen cybersecurity intrusions increase in both prevalence and impact, targeting some of our most critical national functions, banks, hospitals, oil and gas companies, and everything in between. First, we know that nation state adversaries are investing significantly in tools to target our networks. China and Russia continue to conduct widespread campaigns targeting commonly used, soft, used enterprise software, such as intrusions against solar winds and Microsoft Exchange servers. And other nation states, such as Iran and North Korea, are intently focused on enhancing their ability to conduct more sophisticated, more sophisticated attacks against us. Second, we continue to see a democratization of malicious cyber capabilities. Today, hacking tools can be purchased for use by any criminal regardless of expertise, or even rented to provide as a service capability. We know that a small number of ransomware gangs design and deploy the software, user interface, and payment infrastructure to launch attacks against thousands of organizations around the world. These capabilities are then rented by unskilled criminals to achieve their malicious goals. What we are actually seeing is the intersection of two concerning trends. Nation state actors are expanding their capabilities while access to off-the-shelf cyber intrusion capabilities are now readily available. While there have been many lessons learned and best practices proven through our incident responses, I believe that there are three things that we must focus on to truly improve the cybersecurity posture of the nation. First, we need to think about cybersecurity in a different way. Second, we need to realize and harness the power of operational collaboration. And third, we need to understand that cybersecurity is truly a team sport. And we all have a shared responsibility to be an active part of the solution through action, both at the corporate and organizational levels, as well as within our personal lives. The way that we approach cybersecurity needs to be able to not only keep pace, but anticipate the changing threat landscape. Cybersecurity is one of, if not the defining security challenge of our age. And as our adversaries get bolder, so must our response. As our tactics improve, so must our capabilities. In recognition of the importance of this issue, the president signed Executive Order 14028, improving the nation's cybersecurity this past May. This EO aims to address the persistent and increasingly sophisticated malicious cyber threats and tasks 
federal agencies to make bold, large-scale changes to improve the nation's cyber posture, including improving federal cybersecurity preparedness and incident response capabilities, limiting supply chain risk to the federal government, and increasing CISA's visibility across federal and contractor networks. CISA has been tasked with leading, consulting, or supporting over 35 unique efforts. And I'm proud to say that CISA has met all of our deadlines in support of the executive order. We released the cloud technical reference architecture for comment, which was developed to drive adoption of modern, secure, and resilient networks. We published a vulnerability and incident response playbook to help agencies operate from a standard baseline during incidents and allow CISA the visibility to coordinate a truly whole of government incident response, building on lessons learned from recent incidents. And we established a plan to improve our visibility into cybersecurity risks affecting federal networks through endpoint detection and response capabilities and enabling persistent hunt activities that were authorized by the 2021 National Defense Authorization Act. These are just a few of the examples of what we have been working on in support of the executive order, and that work continues. And building on the executive order this summer, the president also issued a national security memorandum on improving cybersecurity for critical infrastructure control systems. The reality is that critical infra cybersecurity needs do vary among critical infrastructure sectors, but we cannot evolve our nation's cybersecurity posture without baseline cybersecurity goals that are consistent across all sectors, as well as the need for security controls for select critical infrastructure that are dependent on control systems. Working in partnership with NIST, at the end of last month, we issued the preliminary cybersecurity performance goals based on nine categories of best practices. These goals are part of a whole of government effort to meet the scale and severity of the cybersecurity threats facing our country. A highlight from the executive director of CISA, Brandon Wales, from today's session on day one of Cyber Week. You can find a link to the full video from him and all of today's Cyber Week speakers in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. Wherever you get your shows, you can hear it and rate it. If you've already rated the podcast, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The top cyber leader at the Pentagon, Dave McEwen, is on day two of our Cyber Week coverage on Tuesday's Daily Scoop podcast. Until then, I'm the host of the show, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.